All right, so I have, uh, just want to get my excuses out on the forefront, okay? Uh, I don't know that I've ever taught on what I'm going to teach on today. It, I don't know that I have. I mean, I'm sure I've touched it from time to time, but I don't know that I've ever, like, dove into it a little bit. Uh, and I know I've never, I don't think I've ever used one of these. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, but I just was seeing some things this morning and I thought would be good. Um, and so I know what it's like when Travis teaches and it's horrible. I know what it's like when the Holy Spirit speaks through Travis and that's really good. And the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches. The scripture is very clear about that. So if the Holy Spirit don't show up, not only am I in trouble, y'all are in trouble too. <laughs> so... Uh, we're going to see who's about to show up, <laughs> me or the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've never done this. I'm not even sure I got this on lockdown as far as, um, but I do know that what I want to see happen through this is to help people get free from religious activity, religious sacrifices that don't do anything but produce death. And uh, I want us to get free from condemnation. I want us to get free from living half in the law and half in the spirit. Okay, so that's the goal. All right, so give me a second. I'm going to attempt to put a couple things up here as uh, visual helps. So y'all all pray in the spirit while I do this. <laughs> What is that? Somebody said it. I heard them. It's trees. Okay. It's trees with fruit on it. All right. That's the first part. Okay. Can y'all see and read? If you can, I'll read it to you. This, this is really not the... This is just a visual... Um, everybody see it? Most of you probably know where I'm going. We're going to base a lot of our, what we're doing today in Galatians 3. So if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, we start this thing as it goes back in Genesis, Right? Genesis is the beginning, and that's where we have to start to understand, really, all of man and all of our issues are wrapped up in Genesis. It's all wrapped up in the fall. It's all wrapped up in the creation when God created us and made us, how he made us, and we've talked, I've talked about this portion a lot, okay? There were two trees in the garden, right? Tree of life tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't the tree of evil, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we all know, I've talked about this, when they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happened? They did die. There was, they entered into a death immediately. But the death that they entered into didn't manifest fully into their bodies to where they physically died for, for a long time, you know. 
but the instant death that they felt was separation from God. But what was the first thing that we notice about Adam and Eve when they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? They did something very interesting. They saw themselves. They were running around the garden absolutely naked, and they didn't even know it. Now, some believe that they were clothed in glory. It's possible. All I know is that the Bible says that when they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were opened, and they noticed their own nakedness. And in their attempt to cover their own nakedness, they went and they put fig leaves uh, to cover themselves. It was man's attempt to cover up his own failure, his own mistakes. Y'all follow me? They were hiding from God. When God shows up, he said, where are you? God knew where he was. Adam needed to realize where he was. When God asks you a question, he's not looking for information. He doesn't need to know anything. He knows it all. He's wanting you to see something. So he says, Adam, where are you? He wanted Adam to see where sin had taken him, took him, where disobedience had caused him to run. He ran away from God. So when he looked at himself for the first time, fear entered his heart. He, he had never had a fearful thought prior to that. But when the fall came, fear entered in because fear is the result of looking at ourselves. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it gives, us, it gives us understanding of right and wrong, but what it ultimately does is it causes us to judge ourselves based on right and wrong. Okay? We look at ourselves. Am I doing good today? Did I read my Bible this morning? Did I fast today? Did I pray for three hours? You know, we, we have all these checkboxes that we put in our head as this is what's good. If you do this, you, you, you measure up. Or we don't, and then we feel horrible and we run and hide. So one, oh man, I've Pharisees, I've, I'm glad I'm not like this publican, this sinner. Y'all know the scripture where Jesus is talking about the, the two, the Pharisee versus the sinner. And the Pharisee says, I'm so glad I'm not like this sinner who, you know, I, I fast twice a week. I pray, you know, and he goes through, I give alms to the poor. He's like listing all his righteous deeds. He says, I'm glad I'm not like them. And the publican or the sinner, he won't even lift his head to heaven. He just says, Father, forgive me, for I'm a wretched sinner. And Jesus said that the sinner would go home justified, not the, the righteous. But the, the righteousness of a Pharisee, which we all have a little bit in us, some of us have a lot in us. <laughs> Depends on how long you've been letting God get it out of you. It's in the flesh, okay? When, when Adam and Eve obeyed this, when they ate the fruit, they absorbed it. They absorbed it. We have sin, according to Romans 7, living in our flesh, and it is, the, and it is fueled by the knowledge of good and evil, or I should say the law. Okay. Y'all see that? All right. So when very similar to Adam, his first two sons he has is Cain and Abel, right? Y'all see Cain, you see Abel. Cain brought 
food from the ground as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, what do we know about the ground that he brought this food to, to the Lord as a sacrifice? The first sacrifice mentioned in Scripture other than the Lord's sacrifice that he made for Adam and Eve when he stripped their clothing off of them and put on them the clothing of skins. What do we know? Where do those skins come from? The first sacrifice to atone for man's nakedness was done in the garden by God himself. Man's atonement or man's covering of his failure, his sins, his weakness will never do. It was a futile attempt. God had to replace it. The only way to get free from it was to strip it off. You know, I, I, I'm trying not to go through a million uh, side trails, but, you know, Aaron, before he became priest, he was taken before all of Israel. He was stripped naked and washed publicly in front of the whole group of Israel before he could put on the, the garments. We have to be stripped and be seen for what we really are before the Lord will clothe us in his righteousness. We are filthy, wicked, evil, no good, rotten human beings, all of us, every single one of us. Pungent, as Josh used. I would have never used that word, but he put it in my mouth, so okay. Um, I would have said, it stank. (laughs) Uh, So we stink in of ourself. Sin dwells in the flesh. Our, our man's mind is constantly on sin from the moment we're born. We're wicked, and if you don't realize that, then you're trapped in the greatest deception, and it's going to hurt you more than anything because you can't get free from something you won't acknowledge. That's why we have to confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's in the coming to the light coming to the Lord with our fig leaves and allowing him to pull them off and just be real before the Lord. Yep, this is me. I'm naked. You can see it all, God. I'm not running from you anymore. I need your help. And then the Lord clothed, right? So I want us to look at the law because, you know, Rick did a message a number of, um, I can't remember last time it was he was here maybe or the time before that, about, Living in the law, living legalistically, living partly in the law, partly in the spirit. And I think that's part of us is that most of us are living partially by the spirit and partially by the law. Okay, all of you got homework this week. Read Galatians three. Just one chapter. Read it, but don't just read it. Digest it. Chew on it. Read it. Think about it. See if you understand the message of it. If you don't, read it again and ask God to help you. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to read it today. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is basically the works of the law. It's causing us to look to see whether we're doing good or we're doing evil. Are we good or are we bad? Are we measuring up to the law or are we not measuring up to the law? Okay? And the, the fruit of that is always self-centeredness, self-focus. It always will cause us to turn inward and to be about us, whereas the tree of life brings life, and it is Christ-centeredness. 
And I want to talk to you about why that is. Okay. Where to start? Everybody with me so far? Don't you like my little visuals? <laughs> These are all the same. Moses was the law. Guess who couldn't take the children of Israel into the promised land? Moses. He died in the wilderness. Why? Because he was symbolic of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All he could do was to bring them knowledge of sin. Let me show you that in Galatians. If you want to turn there, Galatians 3. And then I'm going to, hopefully by the time I'm done, we'll be able to bring this to home as to how this can actually practically help us. I'll tell you about how I first got my major breakthrough against condemnation. Um, all right. So, first of all, note, I'm going to read this. You don't have to turn there if you're already in Galatians 3, but in Galatians, right before Galatians 3, you can look at it. Uh, in verse 21, well, let's read verse 20. Uh, verses 2, this is chapter uh, 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify, and this is the point that I want to get to, I do not nullify the grace of God. Everybody say nullify. What does nullify mean? Cancel out, to make it of no value. Okay, so listen to what he's about to say. I, cancel, I do not cancel out or nullify the grace of God. What, you can nullify the grace of God? You can cancel out God's grace in your life? For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Every time we start trying to measure up to be good enough to come before the throne of grace, we're canceling out the very grace that brings us into the throne room. Every time we sit here and be like, we're feeling bad about something we did and, and we're just like all eat up with condemnation and you know we're, we're beating ourselves up for it. It's not like we're giving ourselves full. I'm not talking about people giving themselves to sin. Like, okay, I'm just going to go sin because God's great, got grace. That's sloppy grace. It's a lie. We'll, we might mention that in a minute, but that's not what. That's there's no grace for uh, for saying I got grace, so I'm going to sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who have been born again and they want to do right by God, but they're struggling. Okay, we're human. We have struggles. I, I, I've said this before, but it's like rolling upstream, and sometimes there's a battle fighting up the stream, and so sometimes because rolling upstream is not always easy, well, you know what? God's grace is good enough, and they pull their oars into the boat, and they let the stream take them wherever it wants to go. That's, that's, a whole, that's totally different than what I'm talking about. When we're struggling with sin, God has grace for us, and he wants us to overcome it, and he will help us to overcome it, and actually grace is the answer to overcoming it. And I'm going to get there. 
if you try to live under the law of I have to do this to attain God's favor and love for me, you will never get free. You won't. You won't truly be free. You'll be bound to your own effort, your own sweat. Back to Cain. I never did finish that. Cain brought to God something that he grew from the ground that was cursed when his daddy disobeyed. When his daddy disobeyed the Lord and listened to Satan and ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a curse came on the ground and a curse came on man that from the sweat of his brow, right? The sweat of his brow, he would bring forth food. So he offered to God that which he had produced through sweating. Works mentality. He brought to God his own effort, his own sweat. There's a, in, in the Levitical law, a priest could not wear anything that made him sweat. He had to have a linen ephod because it would not produce sweat. Because sweat is offensive to God. He hates works. He hates works just like he hates sin because it is sin. <laughs> works is our own pride thinking that we could possibly do something to make us right before God. But the question is, how do we deal with this? Okay. Cain so offering was rejected. You see that in, in Genesis where he brought the, the, uh, he brought the works of his hands. Okay, now Abel, he brought a sacrifice. He sacrificed an animal. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin is only possible through the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Okay? So, Galatians 21 says that we don't nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. The power of the cross is to free us from this. But yet we live here. Why? Because our mind has to be renewed. We have to begin to recognize this so that we can stop living in it and start living in this. Okay. So I'm going to be bouncing back and forth a little bit. That's why this is here. And like I said, I've never done this, so hopefully this works. Um, what was the purpose of the law? God gave us the law. Why would he do that if, it's, if, it's, if he doesn't want us living under it? All right, so Galatians 3, if you turn over to, uh, I guess we'll start about, we'll start about, let's start at verse 15 just to read through it a little bit. But before I get there, I'm going to just start off, stay there, but in, in, in Galatians 3, 1, this is pretty cool to me. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? All right, so this, 
This is Jesus. He was publicly crucified. Paul says this. Look, that's the cross. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? He's getting, Paul's getting these people's eyes back on the cross. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? His point in this is that when the early church began, it began at the message of Jesus Christ, that sinners come, repent, come to the Lord Jesus and receive the Son of God. He was telling them, basically, if you know the story, you got to know Bible, you got to know little Bible in order to follow me totally. And if you don't, ask me about it, and I'll be happy if you're not sure what I'm talking about. But when Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the desert, everyone got bit by serpents. We've all been bit by that serpent from the garden, all of us. But when Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, he said everyone that would look upon it would be healed because their attention would turn away from them and turn to the bronze serpent. And Jesus said, just like the bronze serpent was lifted up in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Because when we look at Jesus, we are healed from the snake bite. When we look at him, we, that's how we're changed. We're healed from the snake bite by seeing Jesus. So who has bewitched you from getting your eyes off of the finished work that Jesus did at the cross that no man can add to, to turn back to trying to somehow add things to our life that we're trusting in for our right standing with Jesus? You see, all of this is about how we approach God. It's what are we trusting in when we approach God. When I come into the bedroom and I grab my Bible and I start to pray and I start to talk to God and fellowship with him, I'm either trying to somehow measure up so that I can feel justified to come in before him because I know how I feel or... I'm coming in and I'm saying, thank you, Lord, for the blood. I ain't got to do nothing. I'm just right here. I'm coming right into that throne of grace. I've been totally washed and cleaned by the blood. How do we approach Jesus? Am I trusting that I can come and stand rightly before God because I've spent three hours with the Lord every day? If that is what, there's nothing wrong with spending three hours with the Lord the day. I hope to spend six hours with the Lord every day. But if I'm bringing that before the Lord as the reason why I can come before his throne of grace, then that's become law and it becomes a work and it's, and it's horrible to God. But if I come to him, thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus that has allowed me to come as a wretched sinner. And now that I am in your presence, I don't think I want to go anywhere. You see the difference? I'm not doing it to earn anything. If I'm doing it to earn something, then my trust and my focus is in me trying to live out of the good side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does that produce? It produces death every time. It doesn't produce life. 
Most Christians and a lot of Christians are miserable and they're running around with condemnation and beating themselves up because they live out of the good side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're trying to measure up to the good and avoid the evil. And when they don't do it perfectly, God doesn't want you doing evil, but trying to bring that as the chariot that carries you into his presence is never going to get you there. You have to accept what Jesus did at the cross as the only one who could pay for your sins. And when you believe in him, that chariot will bring you right into the presence of God, regardless of how your days went. Whether you cussed out the guy that was beeping at you in the traffic line or you, you, know, you, you had a bad thought. God wants to get us free from bad thoughts. He wants us to get free from all the anger. But getting free is not what carries us into his presence. It's not what we're not trusting in our freedom from that as the very thing that allows us to go in there because that will actually shackle us to not be able to go in there. The shackles of sin. We're going to get to John in a minute. Let's get back to Galatians. All right, so Galatians 3.15, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds, as referring to many, but rather one, and to your seed, that is Christ. What am I saying in this? The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. What is he talking about? Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. He's saying the law was 430 years after Abraham, and God had already promised Abraham before he was circumcised that, that he had found good standing before the Lord because of his faith for believing God. God credited him. He gave him a credit for just believing. Faith brought Abraham into righteousness. And so that was how God established the father of faith. And he says that thing that God did in Abraham's life cannot be nullified by something else that he brought in 430 years later. That's what he's saying, just so you understand that. For the inheritance, for if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. For why the law then? Why did God give us the Ten Commandments? Why did he do all this stuff? It was added because of transgression. Okay, if you look this up in the Greek, you can see that this is really what it's saying. It says, it was added for the sake of defining sin. The law was put in there so that we could define sin. It needs to be defined. We need to understand what it is. Okay? Why then the law? It was added to define sin. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come whom the promise had been made, talking about Christ. Now a mediator is not one for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. Okay? 
But the scriptures has shut everyone up under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You cannot earn it. The purpose of the law was to show you that you cannot earn it. If any of us could keep the law, then Christ wouldn't have come. We do not nullify the grace of God, for if, God, for if righteousness could be attained through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Christ came because we were shackled by sin and we could not get free from it without him doing what he did. The worst shackle of all is thinking that you can live up according to the law and be free. You can't. You, two things will happen if you live according to the law. Well, one, for sure, death. When I mean death, what I mean is you will not have life flowing in you. You will either be beating yourself up all the time because you feel like you fell, or you will become a Pharisee because you've been deceived to thinking that you've succeeded. You cannot, the law doesn't do anything for us, but show us that we need, we're, in, we're in deep trouble. That's the whole purpose of the law is to show you that you're in deep trouble and you're in serious need of a rescue. Okay? All right. I love 13 and 14. Uh, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Paul's quoting from the Old Testament. Um, in Deuteronomy, I believe it's 21, it says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You can't even, I mean, what are the odds? I mean, the, the, the prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled, God puts in the law that anything that hangs on a tree is cursed. What is so odd? What an odd thing to say. But it's not if you're looking, if you know the end from the beginning and you knew that the Savior of the world, the one that came and never sinned, lived totally under the law, fulfilled the law fully so that we could be free from the law, who came in our place as a representative of Adam who sinned, but yet he had no sin, and he came as the Lamb of God, and he allowed men to hang him on a tree so that he could receive the curse of sin. And the scripture says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God through him. Not through our efforts, not through our strength, not through anything we can do. It was through Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. It was his atonement that brings us right standing before the Lord. But we have to believe it. You have to believe it. When you really don't believe it is when you revert back like the Galatians did to, man, I better be circumcised or I better fast every so often. And I'm not, I'm for, well, I'm, I'm not necessarily for, for circumcision. I'm, I'm for, I'm glad, I, I'm glad that was all handled as a baby, but just saying, uh, I am for fasting. I am for prayer. I am for doing all the things that we should do as Christians, but we do not use that as our chariot to carry us to the Lord. If you're trusting in it, it's an affront to the cross is, and it's diabolical because it will separate you from Christ. We enter in by the grace of God. 
That's it. We come boldly before his throne of grace. The moment you try to bring your works into the throne of grace, it's not the throne of grace no more. It's the throne of law. And if, you're not, and if you stumble in the law in one area, you're, you're going to be judged by the law. And there's only one penalty for, the, for failing the law, and that's death. So you either can abide in death or you can abide in life based on whether you want grace or you want law. Are y'all following me? Is this making sense, measuring up? We don't want to measure, try to measure up. Now, what do we do? How do we get free from those things that hinder us? Because we don't want to say, well, grace, grace, and just continue to be the, the wretched old messed up person that the law condemns. You know, if Adam and Eve is left to their fig leaves, they would still be separated from God, right? If we're, if we're left in our sin, there's a separation. But Jesus took our sins away on the cross so that we can come right out. But I don't want to return to the very thing that put him on the cross. Turn over to John. This is John chapter 8. I think this brings the clarity because... There is this thing, and I've asked this question to the Lord numerous times. It's like, Lord, I don't understand. It's like, I know that we don't measure up by the law. We're, it's, in a, it's, it's for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our salvation is not based on faith, but I also know that you're clear that people who continue in wickedness and sin you know, 1 Corinthians 6, you know, 9 and 10 pretty much promises that immoral people, homosexuals, uh, adulterers, liars, murderers, you know, uh, all those lists that they give you, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. So it's like you can't, I know you can't just continue to sin, you know, and that's what Paul, if you read his conversation in Romans 7 and Romans 8, and then you look at the book of Galatians, which is y'all's homework. It addresses a lot of this. But I have found a good answer for me in John 8. Now, these were the Jews coming to Jesus. And these were the people that thought they were in right standing based because they had the law of Moses. They had, they had the law. And they were trying to keep the law. They'd made sure they, they tried to do everything they could, not, you know, they got a tithe, you know, they have to make sure they don't do certain things on the Sunday, on the Sabbath, I mean, not Sunday, uh, Saturday, the Sabbath, and um, there's all these th things, and you go through the law of Moses, I mean, if you've read the law of Moses, you know those people weren't keeping all that stuff, you just weren't. I read through the whole, I've read through the Bible, I can't, I don't know how many times, and I can tell you, you get to certain books of the Bible, and the Jews are not measuring up to what Moses put down. They couldn't. Who can? Christ and Christ alone. Um, but in John, these people were coming with that to Jesus. And Jesus spoke to these things. As Jesus spoke these things, it says, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him. Now, these were the people that were believing that he was who he was. He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, 
and the truth will make you free. I like that. How many want some freedom? I love freedom. And they're like, they answered him, we're Abraham's seed, and we have never yet been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, first of all, they're idiots, and I'm an idiot too because I've, I've done stupid stuff like this. They're saying, I've never been a slave to any nation. They're in slavery right then. They were under Roman rule and Roman occupation. They had been under Nebuchadnezzar occupation and then Persian occupation. They had, I mean, they went to Egypt and became slaves. That was after Abraham. So like what they said doesn't even make sense. But they had a mentality of a real arrogant mentality because their righteousness was based on law. They, they had thought they, were, they thought they were measuring up because they felt like they were doing the good side. So they had fell into self, self-righteousness. And so there's a self-righteous attitude that they're bringing out. We've never been enslaved to anybody. How dare you say that we're slaves? Jesus answered them. And he gets right to the root of it. Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Every single one of us that commits sin, Scripture says all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. You can't come to Christ and be forgiven without acknowledging that you're a sinner. You can't. It's impossible. There's only forgiveness for people who need it. If you claim to not need it, you won't get it. But when you stand up in judgment day, you'll, you'll show up naked. You'll show up naked. Your fig leaves will be burned off at the judgment, and you'll stand before the God, and you will have no covering for you. And I love the simplicity of the Word of God and the pictures that it gives you. You know, the Passover and, and Noah's Ark both give us very clear pictures of this but like at the Passover it didn't matter what kind of person you were when you came into the house when you in the Passover when they applied the blood of the lamb over the doorway before the death angel came if you were in the house and the blood was over your door the death angel passed over you could have been the most righteous Israelite in the world but if you would have been in a house without blood on it You'd have been dead that night if you were a firstborn. It didn't matter. You're either under the blood or you're not under the blood. Same thing for Noah's Ark. You're either in the boat or you're out of the boat. There's no, Lord, how you like, my, how you like all my good behaviors? Will that be a pretty good, you know, lifesaver? You know, is this going to hold me up and cause me to be buoyant for 40 days and 40 nights? No, you're going to sink. You're either in the boat, which is Jesus Christ. He is the ark that saves man. You're either in him or you're out of him. And if you're in him, so he says everyone who commits sin is slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You hear that? If the Son makes you free. Shackles of sin. We're all in shackles of sin prior to Christ. All of us. 
many of us are still trying to get rid of shackles that Jesus removed at the cross. God doesn't want you to sin, but if you're trying to strive to be free from sin so that you can measure up and, and be okay with God, that very mentality kicks the grace of God out from underneath your legs so that you can't stand in His righteousness. If I am trying to measure up to God, so I have to get rid of this sin so I can measure up to God, and I'm sweating, trying to get free from pornography. I'm trying to get free from hatred and anger and bitterness. I'm trying to get free from lying, and because I have to, I have to get rid of this so that I can somehow be right with God. You're trusting in your own works, and you'll never get free from it because the grace of God is not in your life. You want the grace of God? Believe in the Son, and you will receive grace, and grace will come in, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He'll break those shackles of sin, and he'll get you cleaned up. You'll never get cleaned up by trying to clean yourself up. Now, we have to have sanctification. The Scripture is very clear. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. But sanctification is the result of the Spirit of God working in our life and us saying yes to it when he's putting his fingers on things. It is not us saying, I got to get this junk out of my life so that I can somehow be okay with God today. I can walk I'm, this, may, this might mess you up. You've heard me preach against sin. You know, if, you, if, you know, if you're new here, you might not realize this. But you can, you can have looked at pornography and turned around the next day, and, or even that day, that moment, and turned back to the Lord and walk right into his throne of grace. You could have been the most brutal a-hole on the highway, and you can, and, and you can be like, Oh, man, Lord, I'm sorry. And you can go right back into the throne of glory because you don't go in based upon your ability to keep the law because if you're doing that, you're still eating this tree which produces death. The fruit of this tree is still available to everyone who wants to eat it. But when I say, Lord, thank you for the blood that covers my sin. And see, the way that I get free from sin is by staring and partaking of the tree of the life, which is Jesus Christ. Turn over to me, 1 John, and this, I'm, I'm wrapping up. I'm done after this, I think. Pretty sure. Fingers crossed. Now, the scripture I'm about to read, I'm going to quote another scripture because it goes hand in hand with this scripture. If you look over at 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 17 and 18, it tells us how we're transformed. The scripture says that we're transformed. When we behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, we are changed from that glory. We're changed from glory to glory into that image that we're beholding, basically. As we behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, we are transformed into that same image. When we stare at Jesus, when we get our eyes off of me, see, that's what, that's what, the, law, that's what the law does. It turns us inward and it gets my eyes on me and all for him. Remember the bronze serpent? The key is seeing him. As long as the enemy has got you looking at you, you're bound in shackles and you're not going to get free. 
the, the thing is to turn your gaze from that belly button of yours, which isn't that great looking, and that's okay, you know, and f- turn it up and look at the Son of the living God, the glory of the Father, who has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And when our eyes go to Him, our eyes have automatically been taken off of us, and we have shifted from here, self-centeredness, to Christ-centeredness. You see that? It's all about a shift in the mind. What are you looking at? We're changed by beholding Him. John, 1 John chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are for this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears... We will be like him because we will see him just as he is, okay? When the Lord appears, we're going to be transformed. When he physically appears, we're going to be transformed. Our bodies will physically be changed instantly because we will see his physical body. The glory that's coming off his physical body, when we see it, when he returns, our body is going to be changed but there's a spiritual transformation that happens when the veil of our mind is removed and we begin to behold the Lord in our heart, when the eyes of our heart, and it says it in here, it says, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see that? How do we purify ourselves? By setting our eyes on him. Everyone who is hope is anchored to what he did for us. We're looking at him. We're practicing 2 Corinthians 3.18. We're beholding his glory. That glory that we are beholding is changing us. The more I see him, the more I'm set free from me. The more I behold him, that's why it's imperative not to earn favor with God but I have to get before him every day to eat the manna because I need to see Jesus every day. The more I see him, the more I'm transformed into his image. I want to be free from sin, see Jesus better. You want to be transformed, see him better. Lord, and that's why Paul prayed this, Lord, Lord that you would give them, he, he prayed that they would get a, re, a revelation, a spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's when the revelation of who he is gets birthed in our heart and we see that from the Spirit. Paul started this whole thing talking about the Spirit versus the law. When Jesus is birthed in our heart by the Spirit and we behold him, we will automatically get free because when you see him, you will love him. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You don't try to keep his commandments to show you love him. You see him and you fall in love with him and you will automatically out of that love that has been welled up in your heart because of seeing Jesus in glory in your heart, you will not want to do something that hurts him. There has been many sins that I said no to because, Lord, I really want to do this, but I love you too much. I love you more than this. I can't do it. Love for Jesus 
is the key. Now, here's what happens. This, this is the practical part. When you mess up, don't run around trying to figure out what fig leaves you're going to do so that you can somehow feel better about yourself and come before the Lord. Scripture is very clear, Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we're in him, our sins have, is irrelevant. From the standpoint of I don't come before the throne of grace by measuring up. You follow me? When you mess up, if we confess his, our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I just say, Lord, I blew it. I'm sorry. Give, help me to do better next time. But, Lord, I am turning my gaze off of my failure and onto the cross, looking back at that bronze serpent, looking back at the Christ who died for me. And the promise that was given that for everyone that believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That promise is true. And God, I believe you. I don't believe that liar in my ear that says I'm no, not worthy of you and you're not going to accept me. I believe what your word says and I turn my eyes on your word and what you promised and I choose to believe you, not what I'm feeling. I was driving down the road somewhere around 96 uh, I remember where I was at. I was coming into Pineville off of South Boulevard in Charlotte, and I was having just my brains beat out by the devil's accusation in my head. And I was a young man, but I was trying to live for God. I was trying to get my life together. Was I perfect? No, still not. But there was something. I don't know what happened. Well, I do. I kind of do. It's the, it was the Holy Spirit taking hold of some word that I had put in there. And I'm driving down the road, and it was like, I don't even know how to explain, explain it. It was like a gusher that just, that just opened up and flowed. Rivers of living water, couldn't set it better. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when it flowed up inside me, I realized that wow, I'm sitting here being beat up with condemnation. And I didn't even know it. I knew I was struggling. I knew something was going on inside of me. I knew I was fighting something, but it didn't dawn on me until that scripture flowed up. This is the devil. And I started screaming that scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm driving down the road screaming this. And something broke off. Condemnation for the first time broke its grip off of my life. Now, did it try to come back? Sure it did. But that one victory there opened the doorway to never lose that battle again. I have never lost that battle. I've had to fight that battle, but I've never lost that battle again. And that's what I want to tell you guys today. If you're dealing with condemnation, if you're feeling inferior, if you feel like you're not... Um, measuring up to what Christ wants. Don't, you're living out of this. You're being self-centered. You're looking at you. You're acting like you have shackles of sin on you. You've been set free. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Don't try to bring to the Lord a self-righteous sacrifice of your own works. 
Don't do it. Don't try to somehow make up for what you just did. You can't. You cannot make up and atone for your own thing. I blew it. I did this. I did that. I yelled at my wife. I mean, you, you, you might want to make up to your wife, but you can't make it up to God. Accept the grace. Forgive yourself and walk on. And what will happen is you, because what happens if we stay beat up by the guilt and the shame and we keep trying to fix it, where are we focused? We're right here. We're right here. How can I get free if I'm staring here when the Jesus said the answer was to stare here? You will actually, your very condemnation and guilt and shame that you're trying to work off of you rather than just believing that God took it away will keep you enchained further. You won't get free. The answer is to Jesus. Does that make sense? We've got to get our eyes off of here and get them up here to the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you believe it or not? Do you believe it or not? If you believe it, then stop trying to do things to earn God's love. Stop trying to do things to measure up to be good enough. Because if you're doing that, you're not believing the gospel. You've returned to that which Paul says is bewitching. Amen? All right. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> you know what to do? <laughs> no, that's good. I, I think um, who here... And you know who you are, and you probably have been feeling it this morning. If you feel like that you haven't forgiven yourself for all the past is now, because here's the here's the thing: a lot of times Jesus has forgiven us, but we haven't forgiven ourselves, and we are constantly focused on like trying to somehow get past those sins that we've done in the past that 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 thing, that, that unforgivable sin that we've, we've done, and we're constantly allowing the enemy to beat us up about it, I feel like the Lord wants to set you free this morning. If that's you this morning, I'm just, let's just pray. Just, just give this to the Lord. You, you have to receive, like Travis was saying, by faith his forgiveness for yourself. And you might even need to say, I forgive. I forgive myself. You might even need to voice it out. So, Lord, we just, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We receive your grace by faith. Lord, forgive us for not forgiving ourselves. Forgive us for, for not thinking that the cross was enough. We receive your forgiveness right now for anything and everything we've done in the past. And Lord, we forgive ourselves.